Hey, common scientists, today we are talking about space, the final frontier. Loki, though, I'm really excited for this episode because I have no idea where it's going to go, like, like every single time we record, I guess, but I think it's going to be an exciting conversation, and I want to kick it off with a story that I told the boys is funny, but we'll just have to see. The date was December 5th, 2001. I was four years old. We were on Cocoa Beach in Florida, and the Endeavor launch was happening. And I was digging in the sand, building a little sandcastle, and all of a sudden we're getting updates like all day, right? Because the launch kept being delayed, kept being delayed. And all of a sudden, my mom was like, Lauren, Lauren, you gotta look, you gotta look. And this is on video. I obviously don't remember being four and doing this, but Lauren, you gotta look, you gotta look. It's a space shuttle. It's launching. It's a space... And I wouldn't pay attention. I'm just like digging in the sand, digging in the sand. And finally, they convinced me to turn my head and look. And I just glanced at it for a half a second. I was like, seen it. And I went back to building my sandcastle. So that was my earliest memory of space and I I just think it's funny because now I'm so enamored by the idea of space and when I was four I just didn't didn't care less I was building a castle so (laughs) that was a good story um yeah that reminds me of uh what's that guy's name like C.S. Lewis when he talks about kids like playing with their mud pies like playing in the sand you're like space travel nah like flying to the heavens no chance like I'm good right here with my sand castle that's awesome. Aiden, do you have any sort of recollection of, of like your first moments with space or like when you first fell in love with it or anything like that? My first, my first moments, I fell in love with space. Uh, I mean, growing up, I can't think of a specific moment, but growing up going camping in Minnesota, that those moments... Uh, plural stick out in my mind uh, going out to the to a more rural area where there's less light pollution uh, and you can see the stars especially so uh, we're all living in Minnesota and in Minnesota there we have what's called the boundary waters and it's the boundary waters like wilderness area I think is the full full name and there are no motor vehicles allowed, no human development beyond just people in canoes going out for trips and looking up and seeing the stars there is to me like nothing else. Uh, Yeah. And as well as the Northern Lights too, but that could be another conversation. But yeah, I mean, that's just where uh, my mind goes when I think of space and, and being awestruck. How about you, Dre? First off, have you seen the Northern Lights? I have, yeah. At the Boundary Waters? At the Boundary Waters. Oh, very cool. Have you seen it? No. Uh, yes, I think I have. I was young, though, and I, I maybe vaguely recall, but honestly, my recollection is probably more of images or videos I've mm. seen since then. I, it, I wasn't old enough to just be able to think to that moment. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's awesome. Ever since I watched the movie Bolto, I was like, yo, I need to get to Alaska or Iceland or something. Um, yeah, I never think of them as being visible in Minnesota, but I did know that they were, um, I'm guessing, to a far less degree. Or Yeah, I'm not totally familiar with what the conditions are that are required, mm-hmm. but it was in the, it was in the fall 
and it was also at about two or three in the morning mm-hmm. and, and so it was it was pretty cold out and i don't know what other conditions are, are required for the northern lights to pop up in minnesota but, yeah awesome yeah um the when i first so when i was younger i always i didn't really have too much of like a, a fascination with space like i never liked star trek never liked star wars like i don't know i just wasn't wasn't big on it it wasn't until my last years of college slash just after college where I started incorporating way more science and like um, <laughs> I was researching for my novel series and there's characters with like kind of like abilities of attraction and gravitation and stuff like that. So then I started getting into like supersymmetry and all these type of things. So that kind of like gave me a fascination for it. But similar to you, Aiden, when I went to, I was driving on a road trip through Arizona and New Mexico, and obviously there's just these vast, vast like expanses of no lights, just desert and like zero clouds. And one time I just like pulled over to pee or something, and I looked up and I was just like, my mind was absolutely blown. I was like, whoa. And now all of that, all of the like Greek and like ancient kind of ideas and obsessions with space in the heavens, quote unquote, made so much sense to me i was like oh this is what they were seeing like no wonder because that was just like i don't know it was like sublime it was just a feeling of um a real subliminal feeling so i definitely resonate with that and i definitely highly encourage if you have not been to the desert and just like sat under the stars that's i highly encourage that man uh here's a uh something that i i did not uh it's funny we were talking about doing our research in advance of the episode and then not using the material that we researched um, because this is something that I did not uh, come across in my research in advance of this podcast, but uh, I have come across in the past is this hypothesis. Uh, I haven't looked into it beyond that, but I just remember coming across this idea that we are, as as a people or most urban people at least, are are more... Uh, or possibly again because it is a hypothesis and there's no no I have no data or anything to back it up are possibly more more self-centered um, because they don't see the stars as much they don't they don't and they don't have this awe-inspiring experience of being uh, small who is that uh, city people? again I remember yeah like city people oh, okay. and like the the light I pollution but I buy it yeah I grew up not in the city, not self-centered at all. <laughs> <laughs> Super humble. Super humble. I, I think I, I buy that, though, because that, that's pretty similar to, like, when you're, even you're with the ocean, when you're, like, on a mountain or something. I feel like all those sublime feelings where you feel ultra-connected, like you said, ultra-small, and just, like, you're the small piece to such something, something so much bigger than yourself. Um, that, that's, that's an interesting little fake data point yeah <laughs> pseudo quasi, quasi <laughs> theory i like it i'm adopting it until some inconvenient fact comes up there's no inconvenient man so i think being yeah four was probably my first space encounter but then i read a lot of science fiction and a lot of space type um novels early on so i think that was probably my first fascination more intentionally with space was reading about it and now in my adult life I've paid attention to somewhat of some of what Elon Musk is doing in space and we can touch more on that 
And um, I also then have taken physics. And so I know in some of the meta equations of like, why is it that I'm standing here? How much force is on me? How much force are between two planets and those sorts of things. And then I'm also wildly fascinated with the idea that there might be life beyond us. So those are kind of three areas that I spent my time diving a little bit into uh, the science of science fiction. I'd love for you to to comment on that, Dre, but... Uh, Yeah, I think uh, one thing that that comes to mind uh, as far as the uh, life being out there is have you guys heard of the... Drake equation. Yeah, I have. Dre has, Lauren has not. So for our listeners, in 1961, Frank Drake proposed the Drake equation. And the Drake equation was just this super simple back of the envelope kind of calculation where he was was trying to figure out what the probability is uh, or what the chance is that there is life out there in the universe. And so the factors in his, in his equation are, uh, so they all multiply to N, which is the number of civilizations in our galaxy with which communication might be possible. So that's a key piece there. And then R star is the average rate of star formation in our galaxy. We can talk a little bit about why that might be connected to human life, human life or alien life. Uh, and then the fraction of the stars that have planets, the average number of planets that can potentially support life per star, uh, the fraction of planets that could support life that actually develop life at some point. Um, so that's another key distinction there. And then the fraction of, of planets with life that actually go on to develop intelligent life. And then those that develop a technology that can uh, communicate, and then the length of time these civilizations uh, release these signals into space, so how long a civilization might last. Because that's another thing, is a civilization might collapse and, and be out of, out of uh, existence. So there's a lot going on there in terms of if there's life out there or not. Uh, what do you guys think? Just gut feeling. Is there life out there? Hell yeah. Absolutely. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, I lean yes. Somewhere. You think yes. So you're a little little more uncertain. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I mean, probably yes. But like kind of with what the Drake Equation is getting at and some illusions from that is that Life is probably so far away from us that we cannot interact with it. And then it might, could possibly be so far away from us that it's like, and like we're never going to interact with it because it, we're looking so many million years into the future, or sorry, into the past. So it's like, and if they look at us, they would see us so many millions or billions of years in the past. So they wouldn't see humanity. They would see some weird Goldilocks planet that's like, oh, maybe. Are we going to spend all our resources trying to get there? Probably not. Um, so that's where I'm kind of like, part of me is like, Maybe there is, probably there is, but then it's like there's this angst with the idea that there is the life, but we're never going to, like, intelligent life, and we're never going to interact with it. 
it becomes this like angst with it. And I'm like, no, I need to meet an alien if there's one. So there's yeah. that. <laughs> um, and just for our listeners too, that's, that's funny, Dre. Um, but what Dre was also getting at there too is so, I mean, light takes time to travel. And so um, there's what we call our observable universe. Um, so there's uh, this boundary that we cannot see beyond because light has not traveled long enough to get to us um beyond that point but uh yeah uh lauren why do you say for sure yes well i subscribe to a complex view of the origin of life and I might posit that it started with a big bang and that there was evolution involved and there was also a creator involved and all the things. And in that hypothesis or in that theory, is it's talking about collision of molecules and entropy and disorder. And I believe that we live in a universe of infinitesimal collision of of molecules, of particles. Do you, do you mean infinite? Yeah, thank you. Infinitesimal means very, very small, although I think it could be arguable if, if the number line, anyways. Um, yeah, thanks for correcting me, infinite. So in a world where there are infinite things colliding, I think it's bound to hypothesize then that there must be life, almost certainly that there is life if there were collisions that created us and there are collisions happening all of the time, everywhere in the universe. It, it seems absurd to guess that there would not be some other sentient being somewhere in the world. Now, whether we'll ever interact with them, I don't know. And I don't actually care as much as it seems like you guys are like, oh, I want to meet the aliens. Like, I just want to survive. I just want the human race to survive. I just want us to take care of our planet. Like, those other people, if, if they... Or things, if they see us and want to help us out, that would be cool. But outside of that, I don't think yeah. a ton about, about it. Yeah, I want to also just say that I never endorsed making contact with, uh, like making intentional contact with extraterrestrial life because knowing how humans can be towards each other, um, yeah. If they're smart enough to make contact with us, there might be some conflict. So I, I'm, I'm definitely of the mindset that, uh, yeah, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, you know, that's not the worst thing. So, yeah, but anyways. So in a planet, I mean, we talked now some about about potential other life out there. That was kind of a huge leap off a cliff to start with on me. That's my bad, listeners. That one's on me. But let's let's take it to the real world because that is that seems crazy, right? That's that seems like dreams. But right now, Elon Musk is building some crazy stuff, right? Some stuff that may or may not allow us to habitate habitat habitate Mars. Yeah, um, yeah, so I'm not, I'd have to look up the, the dates, but 
it's in the very near future uh in the next couple of years is what he's proposed so company founder and ceo elon musk said on tuesday december 1st i think of last year or it might be the year before but um he's highly confident spacex will launch people towards the red planet in 2026 um adding that the milestone can come as early as 2024 if we get lucky so yeah that's not that far off uh that's three years away uh one caveat with that is so i think it's every two years there's a based on our orbiting cycles uh it's it's about every two years that we're closest to mars so that would be when uh such a launch would happen uh but even beyond elon musk so this was something that i came across in my research that i thought was quite bonkers is the oh man i might have i might have lost the name of the company in in my notes because i've got a lot of notes but uh there's a space hotel that's set to be ready by 2027 and or that's what they're proposing and i thought that was bonkers again uh, it was was the proposal that they would create a hotel for people to purchase a ticket to they transport them there and they want the to get the cost down to a trip to disneyland or disney world uh lauren are you looking up the the name of the organization that's yeah californian company the gateway foundation released plans in 2019 for a cruise ship style hotel that could one day float above the earth's atmosphere it sounds like an infomercial on a sci-fi i mean it just it's nuts but this is real dang that's mind-blowing i didn't even know about that 2027 you said yeah you guys i mean you guys up for a trip yeah, to... Yeah, what are you up to in 2027? Not <laughs> I'm really saving up for that. <laughs> Dang. They're, they're going to, like, change the Super Bowl-like prize from Disney World to the Space Hotel. Um, that's awesome. You guys, if we if it becomes commercially possible, like, in our lifetime, you guys want to go to space? I'd go to the hotel if I could afford it. Um, I think that's, again, a, a key distinction is if I can afford it because that's one of the most significant challenges to space travel right now is it is quite expensive but and there's a number of different ways that people are tackling that but yeah if i could afford it i would i would go to space i'm, I'm not i would not necessarily say that i would go to mars though like i don't think i'd sign up for one of those expeditions yeah but, did, we, did we do we remember how long it takes to get to mars oh yeah you might what about you lauren you want to go to space um, man, I don't know, you guys. I, I'm kind of conflicted. I'm enamored by the stars and the beauty and the awe, but I don't... There's some part of me that believes that if I went to space, I might feel like I'm abandoning our planet, mm -hmm. and that doesn't feel good. I'm having some, some cognitive dissonance about that. Like, if I get so excited about space... Which, yeah, space is great. It's, it's cool enough. But we're doing a pretty shit job at taking care of our Earth right now, which is already fantastic and, and freaking gorgeous. And, and there are so many places of, of this world that I have not seen yet that I, 
don't, I don't know if I'd want to throw away the money to go to space if I could instead, I mean, like, be in the Andes or, I mean, I can just, I can think of a hundred other things I, I haven't seen of, of this world yet. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I disagree, but (laughs) 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 other side of the spectrum, but no, that's a really good point. There are definitely some wonders on earth. Um, I think I would first, I would rather first do a submarine expedition in the depths of the ocean. Mm. Mm, I would way rather not do that. Like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> in, in that instance, I would way rather go to um, the Andes because, yeah, what is there to see down there? It's so dark. <laughs> Something cool. I, I don't know. I haven't been. Speaking of which, I don't even know how space works. Is it, is it dark up there? Or is there just stars blinding you all the time? I have no idea. I don't know they're not blinding you. I'm joking. But I have no idea what space looks like. I think most of the depictions that we see of space would be quite accurate, also based off of what satellite images have shown, that it's mostly darkness, except for when there is the absence of darkness, which is light, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and it, that would be stars I think, I think, and yeah, planets. Yeah, and yeah, so that's, I mean, yeah, exactly. It would be pitch dark besides for like, planets that might reflect light off yes i understand that aspect of space i mean if you were because you're saying there's some sort of lack of interest or maybe even like a kind of like a fear or like an aversion to being in in the depths of the ocean where there's no light except for your submarine whatever you guys are admitting Mm -hmm. and obviously some cool little bioluminescent fish down there but what i'm asking is when you're in space what do you see Besides Earth. You yeah. don't look at Earth. You don't look at the moon or the sun. What are you looking at? Are you looking in the blackness yeah. or are you looking at other stars? Are you looking at our galaxy? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. I would. I mean, yeah, I would think that you... I mean, again, our, our perspectives are based off of... <laughs> off of... Uh, pictures. <laughs> pictures. Pictures and... and uh, oh, yeah, that so... <laughs> Good thing. What's that little dome? Geodesic dome called that Disney? Uh, I can't think of it. But dang, submarine. And they also say, I don't know if this is just like a fake kind of stat that they always say, but they're always like, oh, we know less about our oceans than we do about space. Isn't that like a common thing that people say? Yeah. That's interesting. I think that might also contribute to maybe some of my like trepidation around or apprehensions around. Yeah, because... Oh, before I forget, common scientists, I just want to take a moment to shit on a movie that we saw, <laughs> like, a couple days uh, ago. What movie? Uh, uh, it's, it's called Voyagers. Horrible. I'm pretty sure the ratings are already awful, but it involves space and the future of humanity, and if you care about your health, like, your physiological health, you should not <laughs> see the movie. <laughs> yeah, my chest it involves tight space. afterwards. Yeah, like I'm, went, not, I'm not joking. I went in not feeling well, and I went out feeling worse. It was about stressful for like no so the reprieve. movie start and started, and there was maybe ten minutes, and then it was just stressful for a good like hour and forty minutes. No reprieve, not a or joke, yeah, not a moment of, of like lost or love that made me feel any type of way that was positive. Not a smile. There might have been a smile, but it was yeah. a shit smile. 
It was awful. Anyways, so really? it involves space. Voyagers, don't yeah. check it out. The, and it's hard to because the premise is, is interesting. The premise the, is fantastic. The premise is that Earth has gone to shit, which is possible. So let's... I just want to take a plug here. Let's take care of our planet because I don't really want Voyagers to be our future. But the in in Voyagers, it's they have raised these kids to be like they they're biologically engineered to be more uh, like intelligent and all these things and have they, more fitness and they ship them into space having found a planet that would be like earth-like or are capable of of keeping life but the caveat is that it would take three generations to get there so their grandkids would get be at the planet but they like they would never actually step foot on the planet so I mean, it sounds sounds cool, and as a movie premise goes, but it was kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with Lord of the Flies, but it was a bunch of teenagers, like, just causing chaos in this spaceship and ganging up on each other, and an hour know. and fifty minutes of just horse poop. <laughs> You guys are making it sound good besides the part where you're saying it's horse poop. Everybody else is like, this sounds like a great movie. That's funny. Have you guys watched Arrival? Arrival, no. I'll no. have to check it out. Arrival is straight fire. So Arrival is where aliens arrive and they're these completely non-humanoid aliens and they speak in this very different way and their, their language has a special ability that you'll figure out. But that movie is phenomenal. Amy Adams is amazing. So, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Arrival's fire. We need some movie <laughs> suggestions after after that last one. Um, yeah, that's too funny. So we've talked some about, I mean, potential life out there, right? And we threw threw a couple of sciencey things in there. Um, what I find fascinating is the idea of gravity. When, when, when was the first time you guys remember knowing or learning about gravity? I, again, I can't point to an instance. Um, Aiden's like, it was September 27th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and to be honest, I don't think... I was so struck by it because it felt so intuitive, which I'm curious mm-hmm. what that might evoke in in your guys' minds. But yeah, I was just like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. The intuitiveness of it, I suppose, the everyday experience of it kind of brings it down to earth. But I think, yeah, the more you study it, the more kind of complex and like the more like, oh, we don't really understand this, where it comes from gravitrons and all that type of stuff um one of the things when i studied high school physics when i learned about like the equal and opposite forces and, like there's like an equal force pushing against like that kind of blew me away too because i'm like because that's like, that's not as intuitive to me You're like whoa well, like, i'm like you know like i'm pushing the ground's pushing just as much as against me as i'm in yeah. and this and that and even mass has always kind of tripped me a little bit too i'm like okay so mass is from like the atoms and the particles where they really mix things up that doesn't change as you go throughout 
the universe or whatever, but weight does. But then we measured in kilograms, so that's something that was always kind of like blew me away when I was a kid. So that was kind of interesting, and I was like, obviously, it has to do with gravity. Yeah. But. Yeah. I remember being enamored. I, I was just, I was so surprised that, I mean, it made sense in the sense that, oh, yeah, of course, there's something keeping me, keeping my feet on the ground. Yeah. Right, sure. But the idea that there was, 9.8 meters per second of acceleration happening on me all the time like yeah. that idea was wild and the idea that if you took me to a different planet i might feel exceptionally more heavy and or like on moon much like the, the moon uh, much lighter and i thought that was i mean i just i, I thought that was so surprising because that's a lot. It's a lot of acceleration that we, that is on, is on us. Also, a lot of weight. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah. I mean, the physics of space is a yeah. whole other topic. What was what was bonkers to me uh, on in regards to gravity is I remember learning about star formation mm. and. Yeah, how these all of these atoms that make up our world and make up us today. Uh, yeah, I mean the the line that many people have heard is that we are all stardust, and that kind of comes all the way back to this this idea of gravity and and two particles out in space attracted to each other and then they glommed on another one and then they kept building and building and building until pressure became uh, a factor and, and we ended up with stars, right? And so there's, yeah, that, that in and of itself and that process is, is uh, super striking to me. The other thing too is just all of the different uh, types of stars and how our star, our sun, what, we, what seems so big to us is actually one of the smaller uh, types of stars out there uh and then yeah so the just the vastness of space how there's star forming regions out there that um we we don't really know why but they're more prone to birthing stars um which yeah hearing the the phrase birthing stars is not something that i i hear in normal conversation and that just again evokes this kind of sublime feeling in me even though I'm not actually looking at any of the stars right now but uh yeah yeah I agree that is really amazing even yeah, talking about like the birth of stars I remember learning about like nebulas and all that and just what is a nebula see I wish you didn't ask that because I don't I'm not, I'm not gonna do it justice I know I'm gonna make up some nonsense so someone google that <laughs> someone google that what is a nebula? A nebula is an interstellar cloud of dust, hydrogen, helium, and other ionized gases. Ionized means charged. Originally, nice. the term was described any diffused, I don't know, a region that makes stars is, I think, the mm -hmm. what it's getting after here. Yeah, baby, baby cloud star, star cloud babies. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I thought I like of it. it. All right, that's kind of like the painting you get with all the babies floating around the clouds, like what we have, kind of same thing. Yeah. But no, so yeah, that stuff is all fascinating. One of the, a couple of the more fascinating things about space that really tripped me out um, was number one, like 
again, please don't ask me exactly what they are, but like gamma rays, the fact that like there's like these rays that can be emitted throughout space that could come out of like nowhere, we'd have virtually no way to stop them, and they could just wipe out humanity, is like absurd yeah. to me. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's. Uh, I don't know. Lauren might need to fa- like check, double check that, but I'm not sure if it's gamma rays or not. Um, gamma yeah, rays gamma rays are the on. highest highest energy right so Mm -hmm. they would be the most damaging yeah okay yeah it is i mean it is wild how much how little do we know i mean black holes are a thing but we don't know really where what happens once something might uh land in them the other the other uh so when you said nebula i was actually thinking of supernova so i had to Mm. i had to look that up so yeah for those of you who don't know a supernova is a powerful and luminous stellar explosion, and these happen actually, uh, I mean, semi-frequently given how many stars are there, uh, there, or there are, uh, and that also is, is, is wild to, to know and think of that there are stars out there exploding and uh, all across the universe. Lauren's nodding her head deep in contemplation. I'm curious <laughs> what's on her thought, on her mind. Um, right at that moment, I was thinking about the electromagnetic spectrum, and I was wondering about light traveling in space and when you exceed the speed of light and time travel. But we'll put a pin in that because this is kind of a meandering thought. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a, a space meandering podcast episode. So, I mean, whatever. What, what's something, if you don't want to, if you just want to put a pin on that what, as we kind of went around, what's something that kind of blows your mind about space? What was one of those things? That was, other than gravity, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That was just like, whoa. Other than gravity, I would say the physiological effects of what might happen if someone were released into space. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, the idea and the danger associated with space travel and what what human life is capable of here and, and how breathing would, could and would be challenged and, and I mean, not just challenged, but impossible in space, but what it might look like on other planets in other atmospheres, that idea is wild to me because everything about how we are the way we are has been this co-evolution between nature and what Mm -hmm. is here on this planet yeah and i am very apprehensive about going anywhere else for that reason right we have evolved with this planet to be able to cohabitate and right now we are not doing very good job i would argue if it's a cohabitation a mutual where we're the planet and us should be benefiting but um yeah that blows my mind i and the idea that people really believe we should find a new place to habitate also blows my mind and i'd love i loved for it to be possible but i'm a skeptic and i haven't looked into it much more maybe if i do i i hope i would find some awesome research about how mars is really actually super promising and um, and that, I mean, we'd be able to live long and fruitful lives there, but it feels so far away and it feels a little scary. 
one uh yeah and i don't know how comforting this idea is uh, but they the show the 100 gets to this uh a bit in that people who lived in space in that show uh evolutionarily diverged from humans on earth mm. uh, so they became more resistant to radiation having spent most of their time in space uh and that's a, a, a quite a well documented documented phenomenon where a species if a species is segregated or separated from other species uh, they'll tend to grow in different directions evolve in different directions start to develop new traits uh, that might not have been selected for uh, in this example here on earth but uh, and even beyond that too there's uh, a phenomenon in evolution where island species, so species that are in smaller groups, tend to evolve at a faster rate than uh, those mainland species. So that's just another consideration when it comes to how life might uh, adapt or, or, I mean, physiologically evolve. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't heard of this. I hadn't heard of the second of the second thing you described. The first thing that you described, just to put a name on it for our listeners, is called the founder effect. It's a biological phenomenon that has been observed, as Aiden said, in many species when a subset of that species decides to found themselves, founding fathers somewhere else in the world or somewhere else um, in that is separate from their original population, and then they end up thereby having a different genetic frequency and developing that on their own, evolving into something different. Uh, the second one I hadn't heard of, uh, a small group dissociating and then evolving faster. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think it has to do with, uh, I think I would think it has to do with like the the fact that there, just because there is a smaller group, there's less of a majority to kind of dilute any mutations that might come up. Um, mm. Or, but anyways, or like, yeah, that's just some some common science. Getting <laughs> into some right Darwinism there. there. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, I definitely thought you were going to bring up some finches in there. I was like, it's got to got to talk about finches. Um, <laughs> no, I I do agree that I mean I don't know if you if there's anything to agree to, but I I understand what you're saying there, and that is like a cool possibility. And there's I I definitely think adaptability or adaptation is like one of our greatest traits, and then also one of our more monstrous because of the things that we can become. But also with what Lauren is saying too, I definitely do have a lot of kind of reservations because that, that's just, for us to try to adapt and evolve to the pressures of space, the whatever the environment of space is like, it's almost, like, it, like you said, it's terrifying. It's like, who knows what, I mean, we do know some of the effects it has on our body. We obviously, I don't, like no one's been pregnant or anything up there, correct? So we don't know like what happens if a kid is born in space. How do we circumvent and kind of, I guess maybe over hundreds of years and generations, we kind of build our own sort of, I don't know, pterodome or whatever, and then slowly implement and see what happens to us. But I don't know, yeah, I'm definitely like a little bit, I'm like, ooh, can we handle that? Like, we're still earthlings, right? I don't know yeah. exactly where we come from, but it's like, we are definitely earthlings, so it's, I'm not sure if we can, but 
I definitely think I, I'm also so you're just talking about or I'm I guess I won't put words in your mouth, but I'm definitely hearing some reservations about is it even worthwhile to like travel space, throughout space, and all that? And for me, there's two reasons why, and they're kind of the same reason, but one's just more metaphorical of why I am definitely really for space travel. Is number one the continuation of the species, like physically, like like I said, so many things that happen just wipe us out off of Earth. But then number two is like I don't know who we are if we don't travel, if we can and we don't traverse throughout space like isn't that who humanity is like how could we not be us if we didn't do that like so for me those are the kind of things i'm like we have to as human beings i don't know yeah i personally have some reservation but i agree that as humans we are designed to be curious and designed to ask questions and i think if anything on this common science episode what you guys heard was a lot of unknown and that there is science there, but it's kind of meta, it's kind of nuts, um, some of it more so than other pieces of it, but that at the end of the day, we want to come to the table and ask questions, and while you hear a lot of reservation now, I want you guys to think about that this reality will be possible in our lifetimes, maybe not living in space, but it seems going to space, it seems a trip to a space hotel will be possible, and so I would encourage everyone as common scientists, as we did a little in this conversation and will continue to ask questions and search for answers and search for meaning and search for something that feels good to you. Maybe we don't have an answer about whether space should be conquered or not, right? But maybe you can find out a little more about the common science in your life regarding space.